And just like that, we are back with the Flat Out RC podcast for 2024. What is it? It's the podcast that talks all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Why do I introduce myself and tell you where I'm from? Because we get listeners from all around the world. So if you're outside of Australia, thank you for joining us. Uh, and I know there are quite a number of uh, listeners abroad. So welcome. Uh, good to be back. I uh, had a bit of a break, as you can probably tell if you're a follower of the uh, Flat Out RC podcast. Uh, always need that break because uh, January is a great time for me. Well, the Christmas period here in Australia is a great time for me to relax from work and everything like that. So I try to take a break from uh, everything. I'm back at work, though, of course, like the rest of us are. But anyway, big episode for you. Uh, Tony Wilson is back. He's been on a number of times. and But uh, I got Tony back because uh, we're going to talk about growing good, great clubs. And uh, he's a bit of a guru on it because he's doing a really good job to, uh, alongside the other committee members down at the Bairnsdale and Districts Model Aero Club. So I thought, let's get Tony on. Always like having a chat with Tony. So let's have a look at what's happening around the traps. Well, there's a lot of events happening. Uh, well, it is our summertime here in Australia, so it's a great time all through summer and autumn for events to happen. So uh, I'll just there's, there's four that I want to just tell you about, and I'll, I'll do it as quickly as possible. So the first one is coming up on Saturday the 24th and 25th of February at the Camperdown Racecourse, the Karangamite Model Air Aircraft Club. They, they This is an annual event for them, and apparently it's a good event. I know some of my friends go to this event. So Saturday, 24th and 25th of February, 2024, at the Camperdown Race Course. Uh, all models and types welcome. So it doesn't matter what kind of plane you've got, whether it's aerobatic or scale, gliders, you name it, take it on down, go for a fly. Uh, they fly in, in the middle of the, of the horse racing track. It works really well. Um, MAAA members only, uh, food and drinks will be available, cash and FPOS. It's needed nowadays, isn't it? Uh, there's plenty of accommodation in Camperdown if you need it. I know there's a caravan park with cabins and things like that that you can stay at. Uh, so get on down. Uh, 24th and 25th of February, 2024, the Camperdown race course, the Karangamite Model Aircraft Club. So that's the first one. The next one, if I just close that, the next one is a big event, the Wang Jets event. Now, something that, you know, if you've been following Flat RC for a while, I always talk about the Wang Jets event. It's uh, being held on the 14th to the 17th of March at the Wangaratta Airport. It's a jet-only event. It's a turbine-only event. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you're an avid jet flyer, you know about this event. And it's a great, great event because it's a four-day um, four days of flying. Um, MAAA pilots, of course, uh, must have certified jet models. Uh, there's an entry fee of $130, but that covers you for the four days. Uh, that's a lot of flying at a full-size airport, at the Wangaratta Airport. Uh, I've been there, I don't know, three times or something now. And it's awesome. It's such a good event because if you're into jets, that's all you're going to see. You might get a few turboprops in there if we're lucky. Uh, but they're also they they give away some really good prizes. 
Um, Dragon RC is one of the major sponsors and they're providing a composite model jet, which they did last year as well. But that's an early bird special, so you've got to register by the 29th of February to be eligible for the major raffle prize, which is the uh, composite jet donated by Dragon RC. Not sure what jet it is, but it's a jet of some kind um, that uh, you could win and lots of other Pilot's Choice Awards and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, so 14th to the 17th of March at the Wangaratta Airport. If you want to travel from interstate, plenty of accommodation in Wangaratta. It's a short drive to the Strip. Uh, there's always a lot of fun that happens after hours at these events as well. So, and being a four-day event, there's plenty of after hours to enjoy. Uh, you can register online, vjaa.teamapp, T-E-A-M-A-P-P.com, vjaa.teamapp.com. Wang Jets, get on uh, to Facebook. You'll have a look if, uh, look for the, um, I think it's Vic Jets Facebook page. Uh, have a look at them. Um, vjaa.org.au is their website as well, which I think may have a link to the team app. But anyway, vjaa.teamappapp.com. Four days. Awesome. Okay, so that's 14th and 17th of March. Then, oh, this one actually happens just before that, I think the week before, which is the Bairnsdale Action All-Scale Rally. Again, it's another annual event that they have, 9th and 10th of March, gates open 8th to the 11th. Everybody that goes to Bairnsdale always stays on. Um, well, comes early and stays late as well. So they uh, they, they don't mind that entry is $20 per pilot. It's a, it's a, it's a scale rally, so bringing scale planes. Um, there'll be pilot's choice for civilian military. There'll be barbecue on site. Um, camping facilities is great. Ten dollars per night. Um, there's toilets, hot showers, all that kind of stuff. You'll hear Tony talk about it uh, about the facilities out there at Bensdale Club um, shortly. So Bensdale Action All Scale Rally, 9th and 10th of March, 2024, at the Bensdale Club down here in Victoria. And uh, if I close that one there, and there's one more. Uh, that um, Jim Hudalakis has sent through to me to remind everybody there's a big scale glider rally that happens every Easter at Gerildery. Gerildery is sort of New South Wales, southern New South Wales, um, in prime gliding country, I must say that. And so if you're into scale gliding, uh, get on down to Gerildery for the scale glider rally uh, this Easter, Friday, March the 29th to Monday the 1st of April. Uh, held at the Gerildery Racecourse, New South Wales. Um, League of Silent Flight put that event on. One of the biggest scale glider events on the Australian calendar. So get on down. Um, there'll be tugs there, 120cc, 150cc tugs lined up for larger gliders. MAAA members, of course. There's a $20 registration fee. Um, uh, flying is restricted to the event days and designated areas in accordance with our no term. Uh, models above seven kilos will need heavy model, all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, the, the race course hall is available for model storage overnight. That's a good idea. Um, due to limited dining options on Good Friday, a BYO barbecue will be held at the Gerildery Race Course Hall Friday evening at the conclusion of flying. There's a large fridge and griller available at the hall's kitchen. There you go. So Jim Hudalakis uh, is the guy that's sort of coordinating it. Um, now, the best thing to do is, if you're on Facebook, which you should be, get onto Scale Soaring Australia. Scale Soaring Australia, because they're publicising it on that page. Um, otherwise, probably the League of Silent Flight webpage. There is a link here, but I'm not going to read it out. It's too long. Um, 
But if you get onto the Gerildery Scale, uh, sorry, the Scale Soaring Australia Facebook page, you'll see the link to register. So March 29th to the 1st, uh, 1st of April, Gerildery Scale Glider Rally. There you go. I'm going to keep it nice and short. I'm trying I'm, I'm trying to reduce the size of these podcasts because I tend to ramble on. So I'm not going to ramble on except to say, you know, if this is the year, if you haven't already, go and visit some events. I, I, I don't mind publicizing them so that we can spread the word because going to model flying events is just awesome fun. Uh, it's not just the planes that you see, it's the people that you meet and you make new friends and get to catch up with them at the next event. So uh, get on down to one of those four events that I've been told about. No doubt there's plenty more happening around the country at the same time. Uh, good tip for if you're in, in Australia, visit um, your local state association. Sometimes they have event calendars and things like that. So, uh, And if you run a club, make sure you tell the necessary associations that you are running an event. Um, to, to, to spread the word send me a message as well get onto the Flat Out RC webpage okay my favourite part of the podcast and that's when I get to have a chat with a guest and that guest this week is Tony Wilson Tony's been on a few times uh, Tony is the secretary of the Bansdale District Model Aero Club which I talk about a lot and the reason why I talk about Bansdale is because Tony is a good secretary and sends me information so I don't play favourite to you. If you send me information, I'm going to try to uh, promote your event. So uh, Tony has been quite a, a figure in the club as far as promotion of the club, um, organising events, promoting events, um, helping to coordinate things. But he's got a good committee behind him as well, uh, which make things happen. He'll be the first person to say that as well. He always says to me, oh, it's not just, not just me. We've got some great people that maintain the field, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he, he's a bit of a driving force and, and a lot of people go to him for advice on what they should do with their uh, their events and their clubs because the Bensdale Club really has been growing in size and uh, and they run a lot of events, which and, and, you know, they're three hours away from Melbourne. So it's a bit of a drive, but people love going down there. And so I thought, we'll get Tony on to kick off the year, catch up with him and then really have a deep dive into some a conversation around growing clubs from participation to uh, infrastructure upgrades, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. So over to my chat with my friend, Tony Wilson. Well, this is becoming a bit of a tradition, I think, because I have a feeling that we had Tony Wilson on for the first episode of 2023. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get him back. Tony Wilson, welcome back. You, you're the serial pest on the Flat Out RC podcast, apparently. It appears to be that way, yeah. Thanks, Andrew. I think uh, there's not many people that have, because this is, I think, your third third appearance. That's pretty good. You're doing well. Uh, and, you know, you're a big star in the Flat Out RC YouTube videos as well. Um, I know whose fault's that. Oh, I don't know. Your fault for being funny, um, I suppose. <laughs> Look, you need characters in these videos, and it's hard to find people that you know you can pick on and put in these videos. And you just seem to be in the right place at the right time. But anyway, thank you for doing that because I do enjoy uh, seeing you on camera. Now, uh, Tony, I thought we'd kick off the year uh, having a chat with you, um, and we're gonna have a bit of a deep dive into. Talking about clubs and building model flying clubs because you're heavily involved down at the Bandsdale and District Model Aero Club, Bad Mac. 
Uh, and we know that down here in, in our home state of Victoria, it's, it's really quite a progressive club. So I want to pick your brains. You know, you're the secretary of the club. You have been for a while. But before we do that, how have you been? I've been good, really good. Thank you. Um, as you know, I had an injury. I did the Achilles and I'm on the mend from that. I'm walking normally now, or at least I think I am. Um, yeah, life's good. Well, Back to normal. That, uh, that Achilles injury was not a good one, but, you know, we know that most legends get Achilles injuries. Uh, <laughs> I Is that why you're aching, aching in the legs? Yeah, yeah, I've got the Achilles tendonitis. Yeah. It's, it's a painful thing to do, but, you know, you're supposed to be getting to the gym, aren't you? Are you? Have you been getting to the gym to lift some weights to get the Achilles right? Oh, the farm's my gym, mate. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Don't believe that one bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you went to an IMAC competition last week. How, how, that was the first one for 2024 down here in Victoria. How did that go? Still some good numbers. It went, yeah, it went really well. Yeah, so it was at Northern Flying Group um, and at Darren McGuinn, which is another state field. And... Yeah, it was a good turn up. We had 29, no, 28 pilots, I think. Um, yeah, ranging right through all of the, the classes. And very windy, very windy and very hot, yeah, really hot. hot and um, the Saturday wasn't quite as windy as the Sunday um, and probably seemed hotter because of that. But um, look, we got through it. We well, luckily it was down the strip, so that made it a little bit easier for everyone. But yeah, I managed to snag a first in basic, which is oh. a first a first for me. Look, I'm so proud um, of you, Tony Wilson, because as uh, you know, <laughs> I don't care about any other category at you know I make except for basic, because that's where the legends are made. Well, you're going to have to now because I'm not in basic anymore. Well, you've reached the pinnacle and they're kicking you out. Uh, that's the problem <laughs> is when you win, they're going to kick you out of basic pretty quickly. So uh, well done. Uh, so that means you've got to move up to the sportsman category. Have you flown that sequence before? Yeah, look, I, I did when it came out. I just flew it at, at Bensdale. And yeah, it's a little bit more of a challenge, which should be good. I think you need to test yourself. Otherwise, you're never going to get better. That is 100% true. 100% yeah. true. And I must say, Darcy had his first intermediate competition and he came second. Is so Darcy Wilson. We, uh, who who yeah. might Darcy Wilson be? <laughs> My young fella. The young and, fella um, that you kicked out of the room because he was making noises next to you. Yeah. And look, really, I, I was just the chauffeur to take him to IMAC events. Um, so I cast myself as the chauffeur that flies. And yeah, it's it was good. He came second in his uh, intermediate. So we had a good trip home on Sunday. Yep. Well, that's uh, good. Um, you know, the father and son combinations, uh, there's not too many of them. There's a few. You know, the sections are out there. We've got the girls, of course, with their, you know, Aaron and David. But, um, yeah, there's not uh, a lot of... A lot and of the Sills. Oh, the Sills. The, the Mark and Riley. Uh, Riley, yep. Uncle and cousin, as I call them, even though they're surname <laughs> people. All the people that call me Andrew Sills with an S at the end, it's not. There's no S at the end of my surname. It's Sill. Call me Silly. But uh, yeah, but um, no, they're they're doing really well. The seals are really uh, taken to the iMac thing, and Riley's Riley's now in Unlimited, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's flying really, really well. Yeah, yep. that's and and I reckon he's done that in relatively short time to get to to Unlimited, and that's a bit of a feat yeah. too. So well done to him. Young guys, young guys. That's what it is. Like us, young, yep. fit athletes. <laughs> you know, so we can relate. Um. Oh, now I'm playing with something and dropping all over the desk. Okay. Now let's get into it, right? So as I mentioned, you're the secretary of the Bansdale District Model Aero Club, which is a great club. 
give us a bit of a history of the club and then tell us a bit about your history with the club and how you got involved. Uh, Rightio. So um, the current Bairnsdale club um, is about 10 years old now. Um, it's a state field, so it's an MAAA-owned field. So we started about 10 years ago with a paddock and I actually wasn't involved with the club then because I had the Darcy's got a twin sister, so we were a little bit occupied with little kids. Um, so I had a break from modelling, but I came back um, after it had sort of the groundwork had been done and took over the secretary's role well, probably a year or two after that. So I've, I think I've been secretary now for about six years. Um, yeah, and look, we've grown the club. The club grows every year. Something is always happening, which is great. Where was the club before the field was bought? It wasn't too far from where it is now. It was at, at a, um, a Bansdale landfill site um, next to next to the tip anyway. But it, it, it was an area where they used to dig. They used to call them cells. Um, so one, one week we'd have a hole at one end and a mountain at the other end of the strip and then the next week it would be opposite and it got to the stage where it was just unflyable really. So um, a credit to, to previous members, um, the Previous secretary Brian Hutchinson, who I think you've had on, he he you know him and the the committee to track down that land and get it organised and and get it purchased and, and to set it up. They did a magnificent job. It is a really good location, actually. It's a it's how many acres have you got there? So the total area that the MAAA bought was about one hundred and thirteen acres, and we've we've sectioned off about thirteen acres of that. So. Yes, and that's enough for us. The rest gets the, the rest gets leased to the farmer who they bought the land off for grazing. Yeah, and so that gives you a bit more revenue for the club, or no, 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 no. that goes that goes to the AAA. Um, no, so we just pay we pay our we pay lease on what we use, and we pay our rates on the area that we use. Oh, I really like these state field kind of things um, because it gives us some sort of security and and. Oh, you know, it's down here in Victoria, we've got we've got probably more state fields than anywhere else in the country, and all the fields have been selected because there's not much of a chance at all of any of them being built out by through development. Yes, they're not in suburban Melbourne area, but they're strategically located in sort of all points of the compass in a kind of way. And worst case scenario, you'll have to drive maybe an hour and a half to get to one or an hour, depending on where you live. You know, like you mentioned, the Northern Flying Group. For me to get there, maybe an hour and a quarter, that kind of thing. So it'd probably be a half an hour drive further than where I drive now to get out to my, my home club. So it's not too, too bad. And it just secures us. And, and that, that extra land, I think most of the clubs are like that, um, the, all the state fields that you, you, you use that area that you need for, for uh, the club. And of course, you've got flyover space, but uh, yeah, you can make some extra revenue out of um, leasing some land to farmers and stuff like that. And uh, it seems to work. So that's a good thing. So I, I remember when the club did first start. And you know, you, when you think about it, you're starting with a blank canvas. And there's not, there's not many new clubs that come about that, that achieve, I think, what Bairnsdale's done. I know the Ball Ball Club, which we might get Phil more on from. Uh, the ball ball club has been quite involved at some point in time to discuss what they're doing down there, but that's a that's a new club. But 
Tell us about the facilities that you've got at Bairnsdale now, you know, 10 years down the track. All right. Well, the, the most important facility we've got is our strip. So it's now 350 metres sort of between fences. So let's call the strip safe, safe, um, usable strip of 300 metres. Um, and we've got that probably better than a fairway at the moment, which it just keeps improving. And that's also about 30 metres wide. So it, it caters for lots of, lots of styles of aero modellers or skills, should I say. Um, we've got a kitchen or club room uh, where we do our catering out of. Uh, we've got a fully irrigated, uh, fully automatic irrigation system driven out of a bore that we direct irrigate from a, a, a three-phase bore, which is run off a, a generator. Um, and just to let you know, we don't have any any connections at our club. We don't have power. We don't have water. We don't have gas, and so we have to. Um, self-catered for all that stuff um we've got a great big camping area we've got 36 meters of pit shelter at the moment which um, we're going to extend this year we're going to add another 24 meters onto that um it's got solar solar charging station uh, which at the last event the glider event was we we're pulling 80 amps out of it with everyone's charges and um, it managed to hold up okay um yeah and obviously we've got all the uh, the stuff that we need to keep it to keep it looking nice, the mowers and tractors and and stuff like that. Shed, you got shed space as well for storing machinery as well. Yeah, yeah, the shed which which we which we convert into model storage for events um, when we have events. But um, yeah, I've got some plans for that moving down the track. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing that you don't mention, but is very critical to. A lot of people, which is the tower, the shower and toilet facilities that you've got, because yeah, of that enables yep. you to run these events and have people camp at the field and at least have a bit of comfort and not smell too bad at the same time. Yeah, so we wanted to make it so that people can just bring their caravan if they don't have toilet and shower or water in the caravan. It doesn't matter. They can park, have somewhere comfortable to to, to sleep, to spend their time, and then yeah, they've got barbecue facilities free for them to use. But two nice hot showers, which run off the solar system, batteries and stuff, so they run all the time. Um, yeah, and there's, I think, well, there's a disabled toilet and shower, so anyone that, that needs that, uh, we've got that there for them as well. And there's a couple of extra toilets aside from that. So, yeah, we're not lacking in amenities. Which, when we, we, we delve a bit deeper, you'll see how important that is. So, okay, so... so I've been to the Bensdale Club numerous times now, and and, I, and everybody that goes down there loves coming there. And a Bensdale for people that don't know, I'm in Melbourne. I think it's around a two and a half hour to close to a three hour drive, I'd say, um, for me down to down to Bensdale. Again, it depends on where you where you live. And so, uh, you know, what's the membership base now at at Bensdale? Like, how many members would you have? Local members. Uh, local members, hang on. Um, you'll have to do the math. So we've got seventy-four members on the books now. Yeah, and I think about eighteen of those are associate members. Okay, because and, and and yeah, so it's it, a couple of social members as well. But yeah, so we, we've got what fifty, sixty members. Yeah, yeah. Because what you, well, I think what you've done is you've managed to people go down there and travel down there from Melbourne for an event or a long weekend or something like that. And they love the place so much that they end up joining and they become associate members and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, 
my bunch of flying mates have all joined and they they just love the club. So it's a big deal for them to to go down to Bansdale. So that's that's what we like to see. So when we now have our chat about you know clubs and building good clubs and stuff like that, I'd say that Bansdale is a good example. That's what I wanted to have a chat with you about it because it really is doing all those things that really foster a good a good flying club experience. So okay. You know, what what do you define the role of a flying club to be? Wow, that's deep. <laughs> I'm a very deep and meaningful <laughs> person, Tony. You should know yeah. that. Um, a, a flying club to me um, primarily is obviously a place to go and fly, um, a place that is neutral, where everyone gets along. Um, it's a place where people can come and enjoy their hobby um, if they want to mingle with people, they can. If they don't, they don't have to. Um, but I find above all of that, it's more like a men's shed. <laughs> um, and I can talk a little bit more about that later if you like. But it is it is a place where people come. And like our, and our club, like many clubs, most members are over 60. Um, that's not me included, but most are over 60. So guys just come and sit and talk. And if they have one fly for the day, they're happy, but they're, they're talking and talking, you know, for me- mental health um, reasons these days, I think it's very, very important. I totally agree. Like, oh, I know that, you know, I've been at clubs and they go, oh, look at the old guys just sitting there having a chat. They never ever fly. And I'm the first person to defend them and say, so what? I said, that's going to be us. Like these guys have put in the hours. They've flown right? Mm. They come down here to have a chat and to mingle with their mates. There's nothing wrong with that. They're entitled to do that as much as they like. And and I always say when we go to fly, go to the flying field, we, we do a little bit of flying. We do a lot of talking. And, uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. So, so I think the social aspect and then having that connectivity. And so actually in the past six months, uh, I've really started to, you know, see people that are, that are just lonely. And they just need, they just wanted someone to talk to, and a flying club can often be a place where you know people are feeling a bit lonely. They know they can go down there, and you're always going to have someone to talk to, unless you're there at six o'clock in the morning and nobody's around. But but uh, yeah, I think that that's a critical component to it. So we we need to always foster that. Okay, so let's now start talking about how we bring these, the, you know, some of the ideals in a club to life. So the first one is, I think the elephant in the room, whenever we talk about the hobby in any regard and get sort of behind the scenes of the hobby, the biggest elephant in the room is the declining members, the declining participation in the hobby as we, as society changes and gets involved in other interests, the the internet, um, you know, has lured the young generation in a different direction to, you know, what we we had Tony because we didn't have the internet, so we were forced to have to get out and and do stuff. So it's changing um, society and it's making it hard for not just model flying clubs. It's you know the local bowls club, uh, golf clubs, tennis clubs, squash clubs, table tennis clubs. You name it, they're all suffering from this same kind of um, challenge and trying to recruit members. When it comes to the Bansdale experience, what are your thoughts on recruiting members and how have you done that? Well. Look, don't enti- like I agree that you say that the, the membership is declining on a national level, but our club membership has increased by 30 or 40 
um, since just before COVID. So we as a club are not suffering that decline. And um, true, we're not getting junior members. Um, I think we've got three, three or one's just turned 18. So maybe we're back to two junior members. Um, no, we do have three, sorry. It's, it's, it's the middle-aged guys we're getting that are coming in and the older guys and they're loving it. They're learning to fly and loving it. So that's, that's my target audience. That's who we, we aim for. And okay, hundred percent agree. Uh, yep. What? But give us some examples of how you're recruiting members, because I think uh, I'll let you answer, because I think I've got a thought on that as well. Well, we do, we do do the, the come and try, and to be honest with you, I, I, I don't think we drag that many members in on come and try days. Um, we're getting returning members, people who have now got kids that have grown up and have a bit of cash, and they want to come back to the hobby. Um, and the older guys, I think it's just word of mouth, really. Um, I do a lot of Facebook advertising for the club. Um, I'm, the, I'm the administrator for that. So I try and uh, every time I have an event, I do a, a advertise and I target, I target an age group. So I think people with Facebook, and it's usually the older people that have Facebook, will um, do see that. And we get lots of drop-ins, um, and I'm always front and centre, or someone is, to introduce them to the club and explain what to do and and try to get them to join. But, yeah, uh, more often than not, they are just coming out of the woodwork. Well, I'm going to add to that my thoughts on how you're doing it as well because, yeah, that's true. Um, there's, there's a, there, I suppose when it comes to recruiting members, there's a whole bunch of things that need to happen in the line that you need to have um, – uh, awareness of the hobby out in the marketplace, which is always a bit of a challenge. You need to find like-minded people that might be interested in going and taking up a hobby such as aeromodeling because we can't expect that everybody's going to have to love it and want to spend their time and their money to go and do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think what you've also done well is you have managed to recruit members from outside of the area um, through being very proactive in enticing people to want to come to the field through events, that there's always some event at Bensdale on the horizon that people can look forward to going to. And often what ends up happening is if people go to a club, and we'll say the Bensdale Club, and they go to an event and they have a great time, it's a very high probability that they want to go back. And you seem to be getting those kind of people that are coming from Melbourne that then go, we're going to join this club because we want to be part of it. So, yes, they're not there on your club days on the weekend, every weekend, but they'll come to an event and they'll stay an extra few days, you know, that kind of stuff and and, and want to join. And what I've experienced with my my friends that have joined the Bensdale Club, they egg each other on to want to join. You need to join this <laughs> club. We've joined. You need to join now. So I think yeah. the recruiting of members in a very simple way is directly linked to people having a good time at the club as well. And like you said, people come and drop in and making sure that there's a smiley face there that is representing the club as an inviting club and a place to be is paramount. And to be honest, this is the biggest, biggest concerns that a lot of people have in the hobby and the administrators of the hobby at you know, that top level. They are very, very concerned about, okay, if we go down the path of really advertising the, the, you know, spending a lot of the members' money to advertise the hobby and they get to the local flying field and they get greeted by a bunch of grumpy men that can't be interested and want to treat it as their own little club, 
Um, that's a problem. But I think that's what you've done really well. You've been very inviting and you've given people a reason to turn up through events. Yeah, yeah. And and those associate members that do come from Melbourne, I just want, want to make sure that everybody knows, they can come any time of the week, any time, and they can come and camp and they can use the facilities because they're a member of the club it's free for them to use. So they've well, got a week off. There's nothing stopping them coming down and flying. But do you know what? Technically speaking, though, Tony, it's a state yes. field. So yes. if you're a VMAA or even maybe even an MAAA member, you're allowed to go and use that field. But these people are more than happy to financially support the club. And later we're going to talk about yeah. finances and how important that is. But they're willing to go above and beyond. Yes, you'd be a bit of a cheapskate if you kept on turning up every weekend and you never paid. You're going to get a tap on the shoulder, aren't you, Tony, and say, look, yeah, we have a we have a gentleman's rule that you know four visits, four visits um, without being a member is fair, um, but if you're going to keep coming, that's yeah, you need to chip in because the grass doesn't mow itself. The well, fuel, the fuel's not cheap. <laughs> no, it's getting worse too. Yes, I'll tell you what, I filled up with petrol uh, with diesel the other day last week, and I heard there was going to be a, a price rise, so I thought, oh, I need some petrol. I'll go, I'll go fill up the car, and then. This week it's like thirty cents a litre higher, and I'm like, "What? What's going on? Something's prices right. in Melbourne are ridiculous. Uh, I don't I, the I, fluctuations. Cheap, cheapest diesel is in Bensdale for some reason. I, I don't understand it. It's that dodgy diesel. <laughs> it's got dirt in it or something. Okay, so okay, so so training members is another thing. It's like, how do you? get someone engrossed in the culture, in, in the positive culture that you try to create at a club, um, you know, assuming that they haven't flown, how do you go about, you know, what are your thoughts on training members, you know, flight training, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so we've got three, um, I think we've got one apprentice and two mini apprentice aircraft, which are our club trainers, which are on buddy boxes and have gyros. So if someone just rolls in on a, any given day and there's an instructor there, we can put them straight up in the air and that gets them straight away, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, if they yeah can... you, you know, they get, they get hooked because they're flying a plane. They're not going to crash it. It lands. They're happy. So um, I think having trainer, trainer aircraft at your club is, is paramount. Like you said before, yeah, you have to have that sort of stuff. Um, on our come try days, we use uh, flight simulators. We have one in mode one and one in mode two. Uh, we've got about four, four or five instructors at the club. So not 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 that the there's, we've really we've got thirty instructors at the club because all the experienced members can teach someone to fly. Um, yeah, and look, no one's no one's turning people away. That want to learn to fly. I think that's that's important too. Okay, so need a positive attitude towards flight training then, and making sure that people have good experiences. I suppose. Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. Obviously, they're going to have to go and buy their own aircraft soon enough, and they will because once they're hooked, they will go and buy something. Um, I know we've got some members at the moment who are are flying okay, but they're, they're still under instruction. But yeah, they are. They are going home with broken aircraft every now and then, which which is a bit disappointing. Um, but look, they'll get there. We we all did it. I did it. <laughs> I didn't have the I didn't I didn't have the, the luxury of going and buying a plane when I was 
learning. It was a box of wood. Yeah. Earlier I talked about, you know, you know, that not everybody's into this kind of hobby. You know, like if I look at my own family, I've got two brothers. One, my older brother, just would not have the patience to fly model airplanes because when you think about it, you got to be pretty resilient. You've got to hang in there because it takes – you don't get instant gratification from, from aero modelling. You know, you've got to either assemble a plane, which does take time. You've either got to build a plane. You've got to learn how to fly. And so you, you're sort of constantly working towards this this vision in your head as to, you know, what you want it to what, – where you want to be. You know, I want to be able to take off and land a plane as an example. Uh, and, and you know, it, not everybody is – is is wired that way. My younger brother, yeah, he can fly model planes. He's a pilot and he likes planes and and actually he had a model plane before I did. Um and so yeah, he he's like that, but it, not flying at the moment because you know life's in the way, he's busy with young family and all that kind of stuff. So he's not flying, but you know, at some point in time he'll probably come back. Um but yeah, making sure that when when someone turns up to the club for training that you give them a good experience again because if you do that and they do crash, they're just going to keep on going. Like I crashed my trainer plane very early on and I went straight to the hobby shop and bought another one and the next, literally the next weekend I was ready to go again because I really, really wanted to do it. So positive experiences, if they do have a mishap, they'll work through that and uh, keep on going. So that is all well and good. But that idea of uh, having club trainers and some radios and stuff like that is a really, really, really good idea. Um, it just gets people uh, on the path. And nowadays with, like you said, those uh, those um, e-flight apprentices are really good because they've got the safe mode stuff where you can yeah. sort of manage the control services a bit more. Um, I've even got, I've got one model plane. It's a hobby zone cub and it's got a built-in gyro. Like it's got an auto land function. I've, I've never really tried it, but it's got an auto oh, land. You need function. to try it. It'd <laughs> be great. <laughs> I don't know whether you've got to line it up and then you press a button and it'll bring it back down to earth kind of thing. But um, it's a bit tricky to, to when you turn it on, you've got to go through some sort of sequence for the whole GPS thing to work. I've got the, I've got the instructions in my car <laughs> just in case I want to fly the plane. Okay. That's something that's, get, that's something that's getting away from me and probably you is the technology these days. <laughs> It's well, it's you know, hard it, to keep up with. it's. I always say that we're going to end up uh, with self-flying planes, and aero modeling will be um, no coding. It'll be like who can imagine a, a you go to an IMAC no. aerobatic event, and what it is is you who's programmed their model to self-fly itself. You think about it, you could do it. It's GPS technology. That'd be the that'd be the death of modeling, wouldn't it? Oh. But we're talking about the next generation, Tony, not we old folks that like like to do things in an analog world. If it's just robotics, but now in the air, it's going to be awesome. But um, no, I like uh, people don't believe this when when you when I say to them, you know, people don't fly planes. How you actually, when you're flying a model plane, you actually feel that plane through how it responds to your stick inputs. You know, we go, oh, it's a bit heavy in the air. Oh, it feels really light. Oh, it's very precise, you know. Oh, it's a bit floaty. You know, it's all describing a feeling of your what your eyes are seeing and what your hands are doing. It's um something I've always been fascinated about. That's why I think I always love this idea of model aeroplanes that you can – I can twiddle these sticks and I can fly that thing around the sky. That's just – that's just the simplicity of that. It's just still got me fascinated. Okay. Let's say now you've got a bunch of members, you've recruited a whole bunch of members, you're doing all the right thing. 
how do you keep members active in the club? Because we know, like, I go up and down with, I haven't flown the plane for a while. I've been busy doing riding motorbikes, which I know that half the members here, though, sorry, half the listeners, they're into motorbikes as well. So you can't pick on me, but I've been doing a few other things. But how do you keep members active in the club? Well, I think I think most members are pretty self-motivated and, you know, they're always turning up with different planes, repaired planes. Um, I think if you just keep keep the keep the club, um, how would you say, like, keep it nice and clean, keep it mowed, make it inviting. And um, like I said before, we don't have we don't have anyone that hates anyone, and everyone gets along well. So people look forward to coming, even if they only have one fly, like I said, or even if they don't bring a plane, like it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't do anything proactive to keep members active that's sort of up to them if they're not if they're not going to be um not going to be active well they're i don't know they'll they'll drop off won't they that's a good point that's a bit negative a bit negative isn't it really (laughs) no but it it, it happens that people you know people drop out of the hobby and but they come back you know having having interviewed a lot of people now you start to see trends you know that we know that 18 year old boys discover what I call wine, women, and song, that they will find girls and they'll find cars and they'll yeah. uh, go out and now they aren't interested in flying their planes. But then they get to about 27 or so and go, ah, oh, I might get back into flying planes. You know, they've settled down a bit. They've gone through a few different phases in life. Uh, they may have met someone, you know, a bit of, bit of spare time before kids come along. Then they get back into it. Then the kids come along and they get out of it. And, they, and the kids go away. Then they get back. It, that's it's just human nature. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I don't have an issue in people doing that um, at all. I do say I told someone today that um, it's a great retirement hobby. It is such a good retirement hobby. If anyone listening out there that might might not be that active and wants to get involved, and you are retired, it is great because it will keep you physically active. Moving around, lifting planes up, working on planes can be physical. You get tired standing up all day working on a plane. Um, it keeps you socially active. You'll make new friends and it keeps you mentally active as well because you're you're thinking about that model and how you need to build it better and how you can modify it and um, you know what servos do I need and what, what motor should I put in this and what about the propeller and all that kind of stuff. There's lots to keep you mentally active as well. So it is a very, very good hobby for, uh, for those that are uh, hitting that retirement age. Now, I think, though, one of the things that I picked up, which you mentioned about, like just keeping the place tidy, I think that helps build a culture at the club. So I think that the way that the club carries itself, it breeds that um, relaxed feel and there's no discrimination and you're you're sucked into the vortex of this culture where you're going to when you turn up this club you're going to have fun and you're going to be nice and you're going to be very respectful of other people and because that's what we do at Bansdale and it's like an unwritten word that that's what's going to happen and things such as having really greatly mown strips and good facilities and that kind of stuff you know yes it makes people want to turn up but I think it also breeds this culture that um, I suppose most people take for granted. But why is it that people want to keep on coming back to Bensdale? And the facilities are great. Um, and you keep on investing in it. We're going to talk a bit about that as well, about continually developing the, the, the facilities to make them even better. I think that's part of it as well. But, yeah, it's hard to grab someone's arm, twist them and say, you will come and fly model aeroplanes, you know. 
Um, very, very hard. But we don't need to do that. Like, no, we don't. We don't. Like Darcy goes to a school that's probably got four hundred kids, and uh, not one of them is a member of our club. Yeah. Other than Darcy, you know, and he's got mates. He's actually got mates who, well, one mate who's got a, he's got his full size license now, but he's not interested in modelling. So it's not for everyone, and yeah, we don't push it on everyone. But like you said, that middle age group um, is yep. is good because they're the ones that uh, are looking to do something uh, and mm. sometimes have the, the financial capacity to do that and the time as well. You know, if once the kids have finished school and you're not rushing them around to, to sports on weekends and stuff like that, they get a bit of time back and, you know, you can go and play golf, you can do some other sports and go fishing and all that kind of stuff. But um, we always I always say we're a bunch of tinkerers. We like to tinker. It's And we like to think about it. Like, yes, oh, the other day I was in my office and um, I'm moving offices and the real estate agent came to have a look at the office and have a chat with the landlord about the office you know, to rent it out where I am now. And they walked through my office and they saw my planes. I've got some planes there and helicopter and whatever. And they saw the jets. And this guy, the real estate agent, was over the moon about the jets. And the look on his face and the smile and the questions, how do you go flying these jets? Because they must be going really fast. And I pulled out one of the, the turbines. And I said, this is the motor. And he picked it up and he put it in his hand and said, that's just phenomenal. He was so excited to um, to see that kind of stuff. Can I drag him to a flying club to see it? Probably not. He's a real estate agent. He's working all the time. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's, you know, you've got to be you – know, people get impressed by them because they look really cool. But, you know, do you yeah, want to go and spend yeah. the money? And then to go yeah. through the process, that's a different kettle of fish. So. You know, we get lots of we get lots of dads with young kids visiting the field, not just dads, mums and dads. But, you know, you know it's the dad that's really wanting to be there, but he's brought his five, six, seven year old kids along with him. Um, you know, because he's got that he's got that flame. And yeah, I, I hone in on them ones. Oh yeah, well that's <laughs> the majority of people that get involved with aero modeling got through you know the avid era models, it came through their father and passed down. That there's always yeah, a story. You know, it that okay, my situation's not exactly that. But um but yeah, but even then, it's still rare that, you know, like we were talking about the father and son groups and and they do exist, of course. Um, but like oh, I can't convince my kids to come to a flying club. They just go, it's boring. I'm not hanging around there. It's just boring. I go, well, <laughs> if you fly the plane, it might be okay. You know, you might have some fun. Yeah. And and my son will jump if he sees me on the simulator. He'll just grab the transmitter out of my hand and start doing loops and rolls. And yeah, the speed in which he picks things up is just phenomenal. But um, just can't get him away from the damn computer. Maybe I need to turn the internet off on him and see how it goes. Anyway, okay. Another big question for flying clubs, and and you know it's it's always a big challenge for all clubs, and that is raising funds for the club because no matter what, there are costs associated with running a club, especially if you've got your own field, or if you're you know if you're leasing a field of somebody else as well, you've got even more costs, or could be similar. But um, you know, but as you said, the grass doesn't mow itself, and you've got to pay for petrol, and we know that costs are going up. How do you approach that sort of financial management for the club and trying to increase revenue to, to invest in stuff? Uh, so we've got a really good treasurer, Ian Mackay, and he does a budget every year so he knows how much 
we think we're going to spend or he thinks we're going to spend on certain things and how much income we're going to get from certain things because of um, past history. So um, as you know, we run lots of events. Um, events are the lifeblood of the club if you want to make money um, to improve your club. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be stagnant. So we've got four major events now each year and and then on top of that, we have SIG um, SIG's visiting um, special like interest the Jet Association, yeah, special interest group. So we've got the Jet Association normally do two visits a year. Unfortunately, it's only only one this year. Um, and we've got IMAC um, or the ASAA uh, coming next month for uh, for a visit. So you know, there there we get we get a donation from those those SIGs, which is great um, towards it. But a big one, and if if clubs out there aren't doing it, go to your local Bunnings. And book yourself in a couple of dates for the sausage sizzles. Sell sausages. You can make, sell sausages and drinks and make sure, this is imperative, that you have, uh, what are those um, FPOS jiggers worth called? Is it a tile? Um, square tile? Square. One of those things. Uh, <clears throat> whatever, whatever the device is. Yep, whatever the device square. is. Um, we've purchased a club tablet which is linked to the square. Um, and whoever's working that just hotspots to their iPhone or their, their phone to get Wi-Fi. And the amount of people now that don't carry cash is ridiculous. And Bunnings, our Bunnings sales go through the roof when you tell them you've got FPOS. So uh, we use that FPOS at the club as well for, for um, camping fees, for, for canteen, um, entry fees and stuff like that. So, Yeah. That's that's one thing that I, I I strongly recommend that every club gets. They're not very expensive. You don't pay a whole lot um, to the to the bank for using it, but the convenience is brilliant. Makes a lot of sense nowadays, especially. You know what I found? I, I was out. I went jet skiing, and I went to the petrol station, filled up my jet ski with fuel, and I you know I put my wallet on top of the jet ski whilst I'm filling up. Grab the wallet, go inside, pay for the petrol, come back mucking around the jet ski while it's on the jet ski. I get in the car, drive off, get to my destination and go, where's my wallet? It's a uh, long story short. It was found about, oh, I don't know, three kilometres away from the petrol station. Someone did return it minus the cash that was in it. Uh, and uh, from that point onwards, I'm just not, I'm using, um, I'm paying for things via my phone. You know, the yeah, tap and go kind of thing. And so I'm not carrying a lot of cash. And my wife did put one of those Apple, Apple Air tags in my wallet after I did that so <laughs> I could track my wallet. But I'm now trying to transition into using my phone because it's always on me kind of thing to pay for things. So it makes, it, makes a lot of sense. So running events, great way to get um, revenue in because you get uh, a lot of members come in. And, of course, you're always selling food as well. Um and yeah, and we started we started doing raffles as well. Yeah, raffles um, are good. Raffles are good. We have a very generous bunch of um, people in our club who uh, may have a kit that they haven't built that's been sitting around for a while. So that's actually what we've got um, as one of the raffle prizes at our next event is a um, it's a P forty Warhawk. I think it's a Phoenix model. Oh, yeah. um, so beautiful. It's a beautiful ARF there. And we've also got a drone that a member decided that he wanted a bigger one. So 
um, or you upgraded. So yeah, we've we've also got a drone for a, a raffle prize. So they're great, but we only run those raffles on the the event days, and um, we yeah we normally do fairly well out of them. And you've got one of the world's best um, raffle ticket sellers down there. Oh, we do, young well. Maddie, young yeah. Maddie, who <laughs> young is just, Maddie. You know, yeah. she's a, she's a young lass who turns up and will just pest everybody to buy tickets, but we all love her and she does an awesome, awesome job at getting, at getting those tickets job. sold. So run yeah. events, run, have a raffle at the events and yep. uh, make sure you sell some food and stuff. And then, of course, um, those those selling sausages wherever you can, um, outside the, the Bunnings hardware stores. If you're listening from overseas, we've got these the hardware chain called Bunnings here. And it, 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 they're awesome places. They're the big, large format hardware stores and they've got everything there. And the problem with Bunnings is when you turn up, you're going to walk out with something, not just one thing, multiple things. You'll see something and go, oh, I need one of those. And you'll end up buying it. But at the front, they, they allow clubs and associations to come and uh, sell sausages in bread. Uh, and... Um, Kids love it. They always pester the uh, the the parents. Oh, I want a sausage, and so they go, okay, I'll just get you a sausage. So, but have that FPOS terminal. That um, I think it's called. It's it's square, is the is the square. solution that yeah. a lot of people use. Uh, and yep. you can get a little device, as Tony said, you can hook it up to a tablet or something like that. Even your phone, I think, uh, could yeah, potentially yep. do it as well. Um, yep. And- the beauty of having the tablet, just to explain it. Um, the way Ian sets up the tablet is everything that's being sold on that day is on the screen, mm. nothing else. So it's really easy for your staff or your, your members just to, to tap, you know, one Bensdale burger, yes. one soft drink, three dim sims, done. You know, it's easy. Well, Tony, I've done a lot of work in the retail point of sale industry. I'm a bit of a point of sale guru, worked for MYOB as their marketing manager for their point of sale software and done a lot and worked at other point of sale companies as well and that's very true it's a point of sale system that allows you it's like you see in a pub or a restaurant you know they'll have a, a touch screen you you press coca-cola and then it yeah. ends it up so it's nice and simple and it also allows you to keep a tab of how many things you sold so that next time you turn up you know how many sausages to get and that kind of stuff and you know sometimes the local butcher may even donate a bunch of sausages to go towards those, those kind of things as well which can help out and yeah, you know, reducing yep. costs and maximizing your profits. So, um, yeah, look for those kind of extra opportunities. Do you have? Do you bring some model airplanes and display them as well so people can see them when you're at these? Uh, look, we we haven't sausages? been like we, we we have in the past, but but recently not. Um, yeah, but it is something. The last two sausage sizzles we did, we actually had a seven by five trailer load of red gum, split red gum, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a raffle that we ran for. A few months and look, that raised two thousand bucks. See, which there, there's an example. Two thousand bucks we would never have had. Yeah, I had a guy once to say to me, "Money's not the problem here at this club. We don't care about people coming here. If we just want to make more money, we'll just increase the membership fees." And I said, "Okay, good luck with that. Like, to are you going how much are you going to increase them by to get an extra yeah. two thousand dollars? Right? And if you've only got forty members, you know, you can do the maths, but." You know, you're going to get to a point where the members are going to go, oh, we're paying a lot of money now. Uh, but that $2,000 is, is, and especially nowadays, because the challenge we've got is rising costs. Everything just costs more. And yeah. so um, I was talking to a guy today, actually, who sells um, full-size aircraft. Um, uh, they're a light sport aircraft. 
And he was telling me that when he first started selling these planes, maybe five years ago, four years ago, he could sell a plane for $130,000 Australian. And he said, now it's just under 200000 for the same thing. And I said, why? He said, everything, all the costs went up, all the, the labour costs went up. Uh, you know, there's a shortage of labour, so labour costs went up. Material costs went through the roof. He said, you know, if you want to go and buy Garmin instruments for your plane, there's been price hikes across the board with Garmin instruments. So everything has got more and more expensive. And even down at flying club level, uh, you know, insurance and and um, petrol, of course, we'll talk about that, but everything's getting, you know, if you going to go and buy raw materials to build a clubhouse, it's going to cost you more. So you've got to really be mindful of that. And, you know, you have to make make the effort to have the opportunity to make the money. That makes mm. sense. So if you don't run events, you're not going to get more people coming to the club and you're not going to be able to generate revenue from those people coming from either camping fees or food fees or in, even inch. Do you, do you ever charge a pilot's entry fee? To yeah, event? we do. We do. And um, what, what is it? 20 bucks. 20 bucks entry fee for a, a weekend event. And we normally charge like 10 bucks a night camping. So that goes towards the gas. And we need to make, like the idea of an event is to make some money at the end of the day. But if we're going to charge entry fees, we always have prizes um, appropriate for the amount they've paid for their entry. Yeah. So uh, for this and next event, we've got three Pilots' Choice Awards. One will be for mil- best military, best civilian, and a late member of ours, Barry James. We have a Barry James Memorial Award, which is for the most realistic flight. So each of those prize winners will win a trophy and a $150 DA voucher. Yeah. Um, so look, you know, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. So we uh, yeah, we always have raffles. So there's always we did have, we we try and have a table, a pilot's draw table. So um, we generally get around thirty pilots come along. So you know, there might be up to twenty prizes on a table, which you just get when you get your number for from entering. Um, your number gets drawn out of the hat, and you get to choose off the table. So yeah, it's just giving back a little bit. Have you ever? And if that stuff gets donated, it's better. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. We reduce the cost. Yeah. Uh, have you ever got any council grants or any grants from any organisations? Oh yeah, we have. Um, not so much council. Uh, our council don't seem to like giving our grants to us. Um, but the VMAA and MAAA have both over the like, the last ten years um, given us grants. Uh, and we've also, or we, all, we, we initially got, a, I think, a $10,000 loan from the MAAA to set the club up. Um, but I think most of that was sunk into the bore. Um, they pretty expensive to get done and the, and the main shed. But, yeah, now look, uh, yeah, the MAAA and VMAA have been very good to us over the years. Um, we got money from both of them to go towards our irrigation system, which we completed last year. Um, one of those was the club assistance scheme from the MAAA, so we're we're out of the, the race for another three years until we can apply for something else. Um, and yeah, the VMAA gave us a grant plus a interest free loan. So yeah, that's what you got to do if you want to keep moving forward. Yeah, and I think like with with those schemes, the associations are pretty pretty keen to support proactive clubs and having those events and. It brings publicity to the the club as well because people go and post things online and 
about the event and videos and photographs and all that kind of stuff, which sort of adds to positioning of the club. And then when you go to get asked for money, people notice and go, oh, yeah, the Pensile Club's really doing well. They had another event and it seems like they've got events all the time. So they they like to see that and they'll, they'll support that as well. So there you go. So plenty of different ways you can uh, you can generate uh, money, but it's always tied back to putting some action in place to get that opportunity to make money. So uh, you got to be a bit proactive. Okay, infrastructure upgrades to the club. This is an interesting one because you know I've been to many clubs and and not all of them are progressing. They'll maintain their, their facilities, but they're not looking at you know expanding and improving. Uh, but the Bansdale Club, you. You always have something in mind. Every time I speak to you, I know that if I ask you, there's something else that you're working on. You've told me about a few different things. But um, how do you go about infrastructure upgrades from determining what to do and then executing on those plans? So Ian Waters, one of our uh, committee members, um, long-term member of our club, or I think he's been there forever, <laughs> actually, he... Um, he put together a survey for all of the club members and has spoken to everybody and got everybody's idea on what they want improved at the club or what they would like to see at the club and over what sort of time frame would they like to see it. So things like, you know, we, oh, we want the car park resurfaced, um, you know, within the next five years or it'd be good to extend the pitch shelter um, by X amount of metres, maybe, maybe do that this year and, 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 Got it down to a point where okay, so these are the things we're doing next, um, and look, that's that's been good. And and we have a committee meeting. We're due to have one now actually to um, to discuss all of, all of those projects. That's that's a whole meeting in itself, and prioritise what's going to come first and what we need funding for and how we're going to fund them and um, how to keep moving. So it's that's that's basically how it happens and. Um, as it turns out, the next project that we're going to be doing is is lengthening the the pitch shelter, um, which you've seen. Everyone backs up to our our shelter, and yeah, some people miss out because there's no shelter left. So we're going to extend it another twenty four meters to um to cater for some more visitors. That's a, like uh, you know what I love about Bensdale. You turn up with your trailery car, you back it up to the pit area, the undercover pit area. You open the back of your car, open the back of your trailer, pull the stuff out. You're undercover, mind you, at this stage. And, you know, you never know what the weather You know, we've been to Bensdale when the weather's turned, right? But you stay dry. And um, so, and it's easy to unload because you, you're not walking. Like so many clubs, you unpack and then you have to walk everything. You know, like my local club, you, you get up a lot of steps just walking from the car to the pit area, then the pit area to the runways. Uh, that's biggest bugbear of the place is, you know, walking around with models all the time, especially if they're big models and you've got to wheel them across bumpy ground and stuff like that. I hate doing that because these planes aren't made for running across bumpy ground. Um, that it bends out just nice and compact and convenient. So to hear that you are extending that means, like, it's awesome because now – there's more people that have access to that great, great concept of back your car up and you're going to be undercover. And you know, even if on a sunny day, you're out of the sun, it's cooler under in the, in the shaded area. Then the distance from pit area to flight box is short. And you've also created like these taxiways, which are um, the taxiways grass or are they uh, 
can't remember. Have you got matting or something down? We've got some some old tennis court matting for our entry entry taxiway, so they lead to the starting holes where with all, all the supports. Um, and then the the return taxiways on the outside of that. It's just shorter mowed grass. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's the distance between our pitch shelter and the pilot's box or the starting area is yeah. about 35 metres and then the pilot's box is another five odd metres out that. So that sort of delineates the public. They can't go any further than the, the pits. Yeah, and it's a big, pilot, big pilot box there as well. Yeah, big, big pilot box, yes. And we've just um the boys, um, God love them, Dave, Dave Chippendall and Ian Ricard. We've got one member, John Lord, who you've had on your show, who's in yeah. a wheelchair. So... Um, it's been identified that he was struggling to see when he's in the pilot's <laughs> box because he's sitting down. He's actually like a couple of feet behind everybody. So um, rather than him have to tell them always to move back, they've made a little the little snout out the front of the pilot's box. Oh, so he they? actually wheels himself. He wheels himself <laughs> into this little area. He's got his own little cage. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah, he loves it. It's he's good. a good guy, John. He is. Good job. Yeah. Good guy. Uh yeah, so so you so you'll have a survey and that kind of stuff, and of course you've got to manage a budget around um, around that. How do you manage people that members that might disagree with the decision on what what infrastructure to build next? Because no doubt, well, not everybody's. It goes to a vote. It, it goes to a vote. It goes to a general meeting, and um, you know it, it gets voted on. So. Everyone, we, we generally only get about 15 members to a general meeting, usually the same 15 members. So, um, yeah, it's it's put out there. We, we, we don't really get, oh, yeah, we have had opposition. Um, yeah, <laughs> it goes to vote. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. Well, I've told you, Tony, when I was at Bansdale last, I may have been talking to you about this. You know, I can see a vision of a double-storey clubhouse with a veranda, and that veranda oh. was just be above the, the pit uh, shelter height, so you'd sort of be sitting up, looking out over the, the the whole field, over the top of the pits, into the flight box area, watching these planes fly around. A bar there, maybe a bit of a restaurant down the other end, cafe maybe. <laughs> I can see it now. You know, you've got to have a vision. And this, did you ever hear? Um, oh, listen to a podcast that I did because I know you listen to every single one, don't you, Tony? When you're out um, there, I think, to I, you. I think I have. No, you yep. haven't, liar. Anyway, the uh, no, Martin, I have. I, I seriously really. Have. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, so yep. tell me about Martin Pickering in um, Chile. I think it is. No, so you can't remember. There's a club down there. I think it's in Chile, and it's phenomenal. It's got everything. Um, you know, a go kart track. <laughs> it's got areas for all sorts of different aero modeling, car tracks, nasty car tracks. It's it's got a it's got a restaurant. You know, a proper. They must restaurant. have a good shire council. Do you know what happened? Is they, I think the, the story goes something like this: that they had, they had the fe- a field. It got sort of acquired because of development and stuff like that. So they got money for that, and then they they kept on basically getting kicked out further and further out of town and collecting all this money. So they had millions kind of thing banked up. So they built this facility, and I think they even. What do they do? They grow almonds or oh, olives or I don't know. They're growing something as well, so they're producing stuff from the land as well. But um, 
yeah, there's some story behind it. Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen to the last Martin Pickering interview when he, when he went there because they, they run a big event there and he said it's just unbelievable. But I'll tell you what, I'd love to see at Flying Club, especially the ones down down here in uh, in suburban Melbourne because, you know, we don't have as much land as you you guys out in the country to play with. But s- imagine storage facilities at the field where you could leave some planes. You have your own little secure sort of little unit where you can leave your planes there and all you need to do is turn up pull the planes out and off you go. Oh, they have that in this, I think the, this flying field. Yeah, I think the insurance will kill you here for that. Yeah, well, because, the insurance yeah, has gone up. No planes no planes are covered that are left at our club, um, according to the insurance company. So, But you could yeah. get – individuals could get their own insurance. It's like a storage yes. storage facility. You know, they say, yeah, you want insurance, get your own insurance. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got a few planes insured, actually, all the expensive ones. <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so the infrastructure does keep on getting better and better. I remember when I was um, – when was the event? Was it last year when, when we basically got flooded? There was water running through the pit area with yeah. a massive torrential yeah. downpour. Now, as an yep. example, you fixed that now, haven't you? Yeah, so I took my – I had one of the other members, Andy Coleman. He came and floated my tractor out to the club mm-hmm. and Dave Chippendall managed to get a – a grader blade for it, and he graded all the way around the club and re-diverted or directed the water uh, to where it needed to go. Um, we fitted, he fitted spouting to the, the pit shelter because it didn't have spouting on the back, which was um, – and now it's all, all hooked up to drainage and it's gone. So now we can have a torrential downpour and the strip and the pits is dry. It's – I want to say dry. It's not, it's not a lake. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fixed. Well, That'll never happen again. That that weekend, it was bucketed down. It was not a normal, it did. normal rain shower, and the field was part partially underwater. My yeah. my local club loves being flooded. It got flooded again <laughs> um, this year already in summer. Your mo- your model boat club, and yeah, well, it's pretty much. It's going to be a float flying club. And, and you yeah. know what? The poor. Like, I feel sorry for all the, the you know a lot of the committee members and and the maintenance team and stuff like that. They do a really really good job. But every time the dam plays floods, because there's and the flooding is 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 primarily as a result of some creeks that run alongside the field that uh, have been poorly maintained by the authorities. So the water just banks up, and and because of um, development in the area as well, so more runoff hitting these clogged up creeks that are then breaking their banks and going into low lying areas, and of course the flying clubs there, but. It's. I think it's happened twice in the last year or something. Where, and then they're pretty smart. Like they've worked out ways to protect tractors and all the expensive stuff. They just they literally raise them off the ground. But you still got to clean up after it. And apparently, the last time this this last flood, the place smelt something. Something had leaked into the surrounding area, and as this water was sort of subsiding, the stench was unbearable. They had to cancel their Australia Day event due to the smell. And I just oh, like gosh. all these guys because, you know, yeah, I'm a member of the club and I don't visit very often. Um, but I know that those guys that just make that effort that are down there, like well done to them and, and thank you for, for the work that they put in. But, um, yeah, it's not fun that, you know, it's almost like, well, we just we just recovered from the last one. Oh, here we go again. We're another another 50 centimetres underwater. Yeah. Sounds like they might need to collaborate with, with the authorities oh, and see if they Tony, can help and get these creeks. Tony, they've been trying out. for years 
and and we've got drone footage and um, video footage of, of showing how the places, um, how the creeks are overflowing and where the water's coming from. You know, there's a lot of evidence, but it's just, it's government kind of stuff, you know, trying to get people to invest in, in fixing it. They don't care. It's a flying club. Big deal. You know, yeah. oh, poor you guys can't go and fly your model planes. But the amount of insurance claims that have had to be made as a result it's just yeah, and that's, yeah. that means you know insurance cost goes up, so we, so we do suffer um, as a result of their inaction. So it's um, but anyway, the only upside is um, okay, that club sort of owns the field, but um, yeah. you're not going to really sell it. No, you're going to really buy it to build houses on it because it'll be underwater a few times a year, maybe. So, so I always say, well, there is a positive side that it's uh, yeah, nobody's going to nobody's going to buy the land, so we're going to have something somewhere to fly. So. Uh, we're in a good area, so I'm, that's you know, that's one of the reasons why I joined the club because they own the field and it's going to be it's going to be a stable club moving into the future. So, uh, good place to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, final question about um, about clubs getting help around the place. One, we always know that ninety nine percent of clubs out there, whether it be the local bowls club or the model flying club, most of the work. It's almost like that eighty twenty rule, right? Eighty percent of the work is done by twenty percent of the members, and it's probably even worse. It's probably like you know, 95% of the work is done by 5% of the members. How do you get people to just pitch in, or, you know, to help out around the club? Well, you're right. You're dead right with the 80-20. Um, we've got three, three, four guys who look after the grounds, um, you know, and, and one of them, Dave, Dave and Ian are very, very handy with their hands on building things, making things, welding fixing, coming up with ideas, um, and we just let them go. They love it. Uh, they're out there all the time. Uh, Rob Cassie's our groundskeeper. He is out there all the time. Um, Ian Waters is always on the tractor, flashing, mowing. Um, yeah. Um, they love – I don't know if they love doing it. They haven't told me they don't. Well, <laughs> do you know what? <laughs> you know, that, I think they do because if they're turning up, it's yeah. – uh, yeah. Sometimes, like I always say that, um, you know, there's a, a guy that I know down at my club, a friend of mine, and he says to me, when are you coming to join the rowing mo- the mowing roster? And I say to him, look, at this present point in time in my life, I just don't have the time to join the mowing roster. You know, that yeah. my wife would crack it at me. I've got more important things that I need to do at this present point in time in my life because, you know, I've got kids and going through school and work and mortgages and all that kind of stuff to pay that I just can't afford that time. And, you know, it's a 50-minute drive for me each way and all that kind of stuff. So, But I said, you know what? When I retire, I can't wait to sit on that mower and drive it up and down and cut the strip. (laughs) I said, my time will come. And I think, you know, that... These guys must enjoy doing it and take pride in their work, and and again, that must add value to their lives. Because the bottom line is, if they don't like it, they don't need to turn up. No one's they're not getting paid to do it. They're not. No, you're not twisting their arm, are you? Are you torturing them to turn up? No, definitely not. No, definitely not. And look, um, there's different people for different jobs too. Some some members, so look, I can't. Um, we've got one Pete Keith. He goes, I, I'm not capable of doing the mowing and stuff, but I'm more than happy to keep the toilets clean. Wow, how good's that? So every time he goes out there, toilets get cleaned. At events, they get cleaned every day. Like, that's perfect. Um, and we've got guys who would prefer to cook the barbecue, guys that would prefer to serve food. So 
everyone there's a there's a job for for everyone like and everyone's not suited to every job so you know what i'm trying to say yeah well it's true it's like um you know i might not be able to cut the grass but if the club wants a fly or something designed for an event yeah send it to me um you know i'll i'll, I'll use my skills to, yeah. to assist and, and what we find in these clubs there are a lot of skill like we're aero modelers we know how to build stuff yeah and there's a lot of yeah, yeah. people that do it as a profession they've got different trades and they may be retired like i know one of our groundskeepers loves doing it and he's got a history in engineering and stuff like that um and so th- those kind of you know leverage those kind of people but um i i think also you know i think your club does a good job in 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 Making sure those people that do help out a lot are appreciated, and you, you know you you do recognise them, um, and that that helps. But um, but it's 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 a challenging thing, and I think we've just got to be be respectful to that. Not everybody's in a position to to help, even though they might want to. And but yeah. those that do help, you really got to love them and 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 make sure you you, you thank them, and and that'll encourage them to keep on keep on keep on doing stuff but on the other hand and we can all help out and like you said in different different kind of ways you know whether it's manning a gate at an event or you know taking some photographs and putting it up on a social media page to help promote promote the, yep. the goings on at the club you know, there's always something that can that, that people can do so uh, there always is and even when you have a working bee when you've got the older guys saying no i can't really i can't really swing a shovel or you know that's not for me i go well you can make a coffee yeah you know we've got to have, we've got to have smoker so um yep. Yeah, it works. There's something for everyone to do. It, it it's funny. Like I, you know, I've been to a lot of events, but I've rarely flown at the events, and especially when I started this flat out RC thing when I had the magazine or whatever, I just didn't. I, I didn't have the time at an event to fly, but I had a camera in my hand. I was either taking photographs or shooting the video. And, um, yeah, I, I do like flying, but I actually don't mind turning up with my camera gear and capturing what's going on it is fun for me to do as well and it just happens to be at a flying okay. club so you know the wang jets events coming up and 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 i'll, and I'll drop in and i'll have my camera gear with me because i enjoy creating content around aero modeling so it's it's and, part and of the we hobby all as well. enjoy yeah and we all enjoy looking at it so you know you're saving history there in, in images and yes videos. it's awesome it's awesome it's awesome i think i think um this podcast for me is like an exercise in capturing people's stories that are now on the record. And yeah. as as and yeah. even if I decide that I don't want to do this anymore, they're still there. I'm not taking them down. And so there's and especially some of the older guys that, you know, we all end up passing away at some point in time. And but I know that I've captured these guys' stories and it's something to reflect on. And there's a few more that I'm trying to get. Now, there's one that I'm working on, which is going to be phenomenal. He's a, he's a guy that's you know, getting on in years, but a great story to tell, I know. So, um, yeah, we can, in other words, we can all help out in different ways in the, in the hobby. So um, I suppose we've just got to be utilise our skills and, and in whatever way we can to assist um, the local clubs. Okay, I do have a question about committees um, and because committees run clubs and, and often, you know, Committees can be challenging uh, places to work within. What do you think constitutes a good committee? Um, one where everybody's active, not just sitting on the role because they've got a title, but actually doing something proactive towards for the club. 
Um, and that, that can be, that can be challenging. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got, you know, every, every, everyone in our club, everyone in our committee is putting in, is doing something. Um, and they, and look, they, they are the ones that show up to working beast. That's, that's what happens. Yeah. Because they're passionate about the club. They want to see it get better. But yeah. I think you, you need, you don't want anyone stagnant on the committee. So if you've got someone that's lost, lost the mojo, um, maybe it's time just to say, Hey, why don't you have a rest and grab someone who's a bit got, got some fresh, fresh ideas and chuck them on for a while. Well, I think, I think that point that you make is something. Some people, when they get on a committee, they think they're like a board of directors. We will sit there and we'll decide, make decisions on stuff, and the imaginary fairies will come along and execute that for us. Uh, and I always say, no, no, no. If you're going to put your hand up to be on a committee, you're putting your hand up to do something, not to talk yeah. about stuff, to do stuff. And it, it does bug me sometimes at my local club when it comes annual general meeting time and they have to elect a new committee. And the, the the people that have nominated, you know, for positions have to you know, get the opportunity to tell us why we should vote for them. And the people that get up there and they say, "Oh well, I thought I'd just you know help out in whatever way, kind of drifting," you know, they're the ones that you've got to be wary of because they don't have a clue what's involved. You know, if if yeah. they got up there and said, "Um, I did this when I joined the Formula Ford Car Racing Association. I said I want to join the committee to help you with your marketing." Yep. That is my skill set, and I can help you with that. In other words, I'm going to go and do the work, and I did a truckload for it, which was great. And there was, you know, the association, the members benefited from that activity. But there were eight committee members, I think, and out of the eight, about three did work, and everybody else thought they were board of directors that they were going to tell everybody else what to do, and they did nothing. And so you sit there going, "Oh, this person." I always say that it's always good to have a finance, like an accountant, and a lawyer. You know. A committee is around administering a club, and it's yep. treated like and it's like a business. You have you have responsibility, financial responsibilities, and and a bunch of other responsibilities, occupational health and safety, all this kind of stuff. You need people that have the right skill sets to fulfil the different functions for the successful management of the club. Just because you've been flying model planes for fifty years doesn't mean you make a good club member. It's nothing to do with flying ability or how many how you can build a model plane. It's about how you can manage a situation around financial management, as I said, or, or yeah. maintenance and stuff like that. So moral of the story yes. is if you want to be on a committee, understand that you're nominating to do work and not just talk about work. Yeah, and if you've been on a committee for a while and you lost your mojo, you, you don't have any further ideas, just put your hand up and say, I'm going to step back for a little bit. Yeah, don't don't take up a position just because you want a title. Well, the 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 ball ball club that I mentioned earlier, they've got fixed terms where you can be on the committee. I can't remember how many years we're three years or four years maximum. Yeah, and yeah. then you need yeah. to vacate for at least a year to let somebody else come in. Um, so that's that's a sort of a different way that, of that, approaching. That, that's yeah, that that'll be interesting. We'll see how that goes with them for them yeah, because they don't have they the, don't have a truckload of local members. That's the problem, and and you get. People that used to be on the committee still helping out as well. So anyway, they'll work it out. Don't get me wrong, Phil, the bloke you mentioned before, he is a dynamo, and yeah, oh. what's 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 going on at that club is out so of control. Phil rings you up, and Phil rings me up, and, and to bounce ideas off off us, you know, me more marketing, and you how to run clubs and different ideas and all that kind of stuff. 
But um, he said to me the other day, oh, my wife thinks I'm spending too much time. And I say to him, Phil, listen to your wife. You are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listen to your wife because yeah. you know what? You can do half the amount of work and get the same result. So just find that that balance. But listen to your wife. She knows what she's talking about. Yeah. Well, Tony, that's been a good yeah. chat. Uh, a lot of good things to think about there. Now, 2024 is here. What are your plans for 2024 personally with your aero modelling? Aero modelling. Well, so I've just jumped up to the Sportsman in in the IMAC. So I'm I'm actually really looking forward to to moving forward with that. Um, I'm back with Gavin Sexton. Well, now, I was so going to say the rivalry's back. Uh, oh, we're we're back. Big so, Gav, uh, friend yeah, big of Gav, ours. We'll, um, <laughs> that, yeah. So that'll be fun. Um, Darcy's doing VCE, so there will be some some events we won't be able to make. But yeah, that's that's unfortunate because I, I really love the the guys that that do the circuit, um, and we just have such a hoot for the weekend. So that's that's something to look forward to and. We've got all these events that um, need organising throughout the year. So our next one is in March, our um, scale rally. So it's uh, just scale planes and or helicopters or whatever you've got that scale. So that yeah, looking forward to that. That's a Labor Day long weekend. So if you if you're listening and you want somewhere to go and you've got a van or a tent, or you can stay in a motel, I don't care. Yeah, come along. Plenty of good motels that are really affordable yeah, in, yeah. in the Bensdale area and. 15 minutes drive out to the field, um, which is um, really good. So, so I've, I've just put that event up on our Facebook page. Yep. So if you if you if you look up Bad Mac or Bensdale District Model Aero Club, you will find it, like it, follow it, whatever you have to do. And then you've got the mid May muster, which I'm hoping to get to again. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Everyone would have got an email recently from the VMWA talking about the festival of flight. Yes. Um, and. Apparently, all the state fields are having a an event, a two day event, throughout the year. So, um, I'm probably speaking out of turn here, but I think we're going to make our mid bay muster slash festival flight event. So, okay. it will be bigger than Ben Hur. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. Something to look yeah, forward to. Should yeah. be good. Yep. Yep. Well, Tony Wilson, you're a legend. Love having always have love having a chat with you. Uh, very proactive. You know, they come more proactive than Tony Wilson when it comes to clubs. And uh, so always good to get your input and thought about uh, how to foster a great club. And you're doing a really good job. If you haven't been down the Bansell and District Aero Model, Bansell and District Model Aero Club, get on down. And you can't miss the field now because you've got this new big shrine to aero modelling out the front, haven't you? We've got a, a windshield, a third scale windshield um on a post but it's it's down the driveway a bit because we didn't want to get it shot up uh. by the local foods. <laughs> um, but we are getting a new state field sign delivered finally excellent very soon so that'll be that'll be at the front it's yeah. actually in Go- on google maps as well if you type in yep. bad map or bands, bad think it'll take yep. you right there tony wilson you're a legend have a great 2024 thanks. and i look forward to catching up with you down at the field thanks mate about to leave Already packing, come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. We're back for 2024. I hope this year you can follow Flat Out RC. Jump on and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends as well. Spread the word. Let's get this Flat Out RC movement going. Uh, don't forget the YouTube channel. Have a look at that and uh, socials. Uh, 
What are my plans for the year? Oh, I don't know. Putting no pressure on myself. I'll post things when I feel like posting things. Uh, the podcast, though, uh, I'll uh, every fortnight is the aim. Um, the hardest part of all this is just finding guests. Anybody has any guest, guest suggestions, or you think you might have a story to tell, then jump online to the flatoutrc.com.au website or get onto the Flat Out RC Facebook page, send me a message if you like. On the Instagram page, send me a message if you like. Uh, whatever way, get onto the uh, one of those channels and uh, send me a message. But hope you're back into it, flying for 2024, enjoying the good weather down here in Australia. And if you're abroad, I know that a lot of you in the Northern Hemisphere might be struggling with snow on the ground. It's okay. It will melt at some point in time. Uh, in another couple of months maybe but anyway hope you're in the sheds building if not on the simulator if not getting out to fly when you can put skis on your plane do whatever you need to do get out flying anyway talk to you in a couple of weeks enjoy see ya